Grab your popcorn and snacks. Find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Well, good evening, everybody. How's everybody feeling? I hope you said good. I'm feeling good, too. I got a lot done today. Getting closer every day. I'm going to do a countdown now. We're almost at that 12-day that twelve day of Christmas thing, right? Coming in. It's getting closer. Anyway, my name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour. I'm also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento, California. We are 45 strong up and down the state of California, which means we can get to you. If you think you might have a paranormal issue going on, we can get to you. It might take us a couple hours, but we'll get there always you can find us on facebook twitter uh youtube tiktok and twitch we're everywhere over on facebook we are california haunts over on youtube we are california haunts paranormal investigation team over on uh tiktok we are cal haunts which is all lowercase i'm also on instagram i am myself and that's under ghosty gal all lowercase and we're over on twitter at cal haunts that's how you can find us Anyway, I'm glad you're all here. And a quick reminder, if you're watching the show and you enjoy what you see tonight and you're watching from Facebook, be sure to hit that follow button and be sure to uh, let everybody know about us, okay? If you're watching from YouTube, same thing. If you, if you like what you see, be sure to hit the like and follow button. And also, well, not so much follow, but there's a little ghost in the bottom right-hand corner. Let's see if I can point him out over here. There we go. I'm getting good at this now. He's just about right there. If you click on that, the subscribe button will come up. We've got 450 videos sitting over there that you can look at. Um, I'm a journalist, so I like to vary my topics. So uh, you can check them out. I think there's something over there for everybody. Tonight, we're going to do a really cool show. I, I love talking about Atlantis. I have a thing about Atlantis and ancient history. I'm a history buff, so I love that stuff. I also was, was looking through this gentleman's books, and... Uh, he does. Uh, he has a book on, on on the face of on Mars. You know what's going on with Mars. So maybe we'll get into a little bit of that tonight too. But pretty much it's going to be Atlantis and ancient, ancient civilizations, and he's got some really cool theories about that. So we're going to bring him in. His make his name is Mark Carlotto, and uh, I'm going to bring him in and let's get the show on the road. Good evening. Hey Charlotte, how you doing? Fine. How are you, sir? I'm good. I'm good. Nice to meet you. Tell me about you. About me. Uh, I'm an aerospace engineer. Uh, this is sort of my uh, my avocation. This is what I feel like I I, I need to be doing. Uh, it's not really how I earn my living, um, but I apply a lot of what I do in my during my day job to uh, sort of alternative uh, science questions. You mentioned based on Mars, mm -hmm. um, ancient mysteries. Uh, I look at them as a scientist does. Uh, you know, I try to be quantitative. Uh, I try not to make any claim that I can't back up with data. Um, but I'm not. I'm not a professional archaeologist, so I approach things a little differently. That's fine too. You know, I think I think I do too. I'm not. I'm not a professional archaeologist or anything like that. But I have my own thoughts on stuff. You know, after reading stuff over the years. Yeah. So how did you get interested in Atlantis then? So I was uh, I was planning a vacation to Mexico and I'm on Google Earth. Uh, that's that, that's sort of like <laughs> rather than being on a travel website, I'm on Google Earth and uh, <laughs> I'm looking at all these places I want to visit. And I notice that they're not lined up in the, to the cardinal directions, you know, north, south, east and west. They're all, you know, these pyramids in Mexico are all tilted in, in different directions. Mm -hmm. And uh so I started wondering why this is the case, and it. I remembered uh, that I had sort of touched on this issue uh, in sort of a prior life, if you will, when I was looking at the Mars mysteries, um, because we were looking at alignments on Mars, and uh, things weren't aligned to the cardinal directions there either. So, you know, what was the reason? So anyway, long story short, um, I recalled theory by Charles Hapgood that um, that the Earth's poles had changed positions, that there was this thing called Earth crustal displacement where the crust of the Earth can actually move on over the mantle. Mm -hmm. So 
by doing this, and it's kind of weird to try to imagine this, but by doing it, it's sort of like the skin of an orange moving over the orange. Mm -hmm. um, when this happens, the, the direction where the North Pole is changes. The Earth still is still spinning on its axis the same way, but the crust has shifted. Mm -hmm. And um, he laid this theory out in the 50s, and uh, it's, it's sort of coming back like, you know, like everything else, right? Everything is cyclical. And uh, so when I when I applied his theory to these sites, uh, it turned out that they were aligned to previous, uh, to old poles, basically previous locations of the North Pole. And no one had really uh, noticed this before. And uh, so starting from Mexico, I looked all over the world. I, I, I kind of went a little crazy over the course of a few months using Google Earth and the ruler tool, I probably looked at thousands of sites. And I actually uh, had found uh, uh, about 50 sites across the world. Um, and I wrote a paper uh, for a conference, professional conference back in 2019. And um, one, thing, one thing led to another. I started, well, I started finding more sites. Uh, my, my new book is Beyond Atlantis. This guy here, it's, it's a thick book. And uh, there's over 500 sites that have been found now that line up to previous polls. So the statistical data is pretty compelling. So that's, in a nutshell, that's how I got started. And that's kind of kind of where I am now. Okay, so now that you've established this, what does it mean for Atlantis? What does it mean for Atlantis? Yes, sir. So, you know, everyone's trying to find Atlantis, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's all kinds of theories, you know, from the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, where Plato said it was, to Antarctica, to where Rose and Rand Flamath, the uh, Canadian uh, writers, uh, proposed uh, 10, 20 years ago. I forget exactly when they wrote their book, Atlantis Blueprint. Um, and there's been many other theories. Uh, the island of Santorini, uh, mm -hmm. Spain, Portugal. Uh, the recot structure in Northern Africa. So everyone's looking for Atlantis, uh, but we haven't really found it yet. Mm -hmm. So, and, you know, setting the problem up or posing it as a search for this place, this mythical place, perhaps, it is has made it really easy for professional archaeologists to shoot down any kind of theory. You know, it's like, you you set it up and set, it's been set up in such a way that it's almost you're almost setting yourself up for failure. So I look at Atlantis not so much as a place but as a time, mm -hmm. and it's the idea of trying to find an evidence of earlier civilizations, not not necessarily Atlantis, mm -hmm. but civilizations that existed before the Ice Age. And mm -hmm. so for me, Atlantis is more of of a time. It's that time, 20,000 years ago, mm -hmm. what was on Earth then. Uh, but even more interesting, because of these previous pole locations shifting every 20, 30,000 years, it uh, set, sets you up for this whole idea of world ages. You know, uh, the ancients have talked about in religious traditions, uh, mythologies talk about world ages. So where do they come from? Well, the theory I propose is that every time the pole shifts, there's a cataclysm. It's kind of like a global reset. Mm -hmm. It doesn't totally destroy everything, but it it's uh, it, it shakes things up quite a bit. We become perhaps hunter gatherers again, and we have to start over. And so there's been a succession of these world ages, and uh, so Atlantis was the previous one, but there's been ages uh, before Atlantis going back over 100,000 years. And again, that's based on the alignment of these sites to pole locations that actually using climate data have been dated to be that old. So it's not speculation, but actually based on fossil and other evidence, um, we, we've been able to actually come up with datings of these pole, of these hypothesized pole locations. So it's, it's like a whole package. It's a whole theory that has 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 data has hypothesis uh and and has tests of the hypothesis and uh you know in in really coming up with uh numbers that 
you know, are, are really extremely, uh, you know, highly competent estimates of, of uh, you know, the numbers of sites and how, you know, and when this happens. So um, anyway, so Atlantis was the previous age, but there's been others before, before then, before Atlantis. Well, this is fascinating then, because that means that there's stuff that maybe they found that's a lot older than, than they think it is. Right. Uh, for example, uh, Baalbek um, in, uh, in Lebanon is, uh, is aligned to a pole. Okay, so, so things that would be the era of Atlantis are things that are aligned to what's called the Hudson Bay Pole. So the pre, so the pole right now is in the Arctic, but uh, 20,000 years ago, I proposed it was in Hudson Bay, which is in, in Canada. And at that time, uh, with the pole in Hudson Bay, North America was in the polar zone. So that's why we had an ice age. That's, that's Hapgood's explanation for why we have ice ages. It's not like the Earth's climate as a whole gets colder or warmer, but it's different parts of the planet shift into the polar zone. So that's mm -hmm. why North America had an ice age. And when it shifted from Hudson Bay to the Arctic, things thawed out and we, we entered the temperate zone, which is where we are now. Mm -hmm. But previous, prior to that, uh, the sequence of pole locations is something like Hudson Bay, <clears throat> uh, the Norwegian Sea, uh, Northern Greenland and the Bering Sea, north of the Aleutian Islands. So these are different pole locations. Baalbek is aligned, uh, is uh, the Temple of Jupiter, Baalbek, and, and all of these structures that are actually built on top of one another uh -huh. are aligned to the Greenland Pole, which would have been the pole uh, dated to be about 75,000 years ago. So that's not to say that the Temple of Jupiter which we know the Romans built is 75,000 years old. It's the idea is that it was built on something that was built, actually built on a succession of platforms that go back to the first one, which is built on the largest stones, you know, stones that weigh up to a thousand tons. And the hypothesis is that these were quarried and put in place 75,000 years ago. And it's a similar similar argument for other sites. Um, again, there's hundreds of sites that 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 fit this model that are described in the book. It's not just one or two. Mm -hmm. I'm not cherry picking. And I do this, the statistical analysis, and I show you know just how significant these numbers are. Uh, but they're all over the world. There's hundreds of sites that follow this model. This is absolutely fascinating. And now. Have you been able to, to show this data to, 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 to scientists and, and get their opinion on it? Well, you know, for, for the most part, the mainstream, it, it, you know, it's, it, it's crickets. Mm -hmm. uh, and the only time they get excited is when something gets really popular. I, I cite Graham Hancock's recently, uh, the, um, the uh, Ancient Apocalypse series mm -hmm. on Netflix. And he's got a lot of, uh, basically he has the archeological com archeological community demanding that Netflix label this series as fiction. Mm -hmm. uh, because it, it, it you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's getting close to the nerve because when things are starting to get this popular, people are beginning to question the mainstream. Well, right. and, and so, and you know, our, and, and science doesn't like that. Science likes to create a paradigm, a box. This is what we mm -hmm. study. This is, we're going to give you money to, you know, to, 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 to do your research and everything is sort of laid out and it evolves very slowly. But, you know, the history of science is really a series of revolutions when the paradigm is, is broken. You know, quantum mechanics is a great example. You know, we thought that the universe was, was predictable, but then, you know, uh, the, the quantum, the physicists in the early 1900s found that there's this unpredictability in nature and it was you know earth shattering mm -hmm. and so um you know science is just a series of revolutions um i have i you know i, I have some emails i some some scientists have contacted me with with ideas but for the most part um uh, the response has been you know pretty much just silence you mm -hmm. know a lot of you know a, a lot of people have bought the books and have i you know a lot of people have uh, if you go to uh, beforeatlantis.com, my blog, there's a lot of 
lot of comments, a lot of, you know, a lot of really thought provoking uh, ideas, but they're not coming from, they're not coming from academia. They're coming mm -hmm. from people that are just interested, people like ourselves who right. look at this stuff and it's like the mainstream theories don't make sense. Mm -hmm. There's got to be another way of looking at it. And they, you know, they write to me and they say, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. But where do we go from here? I don't know. You know, you know, the theories that you're proposing, though, that makes me think back to the, the disappearance of the dinosaurs, too. Because if there was this big shift like that with the weather, that surely would have wiped them out. Well, you know, so so this is the thing now that the, uh, you know, the what's popular in the scientific community is the idea of, of cataclysms. Uh, brought on by cosmic events like like asteroid impacts, right, right? And so you know that's the idea that uh, that uh, a large uh, body hit the hit the Earth. Um, you know the Chicxulub impact. Mm -hmm. You know is really thought. It's generally agreed that that killed off the dinosaurs. And how did it do it? You know it 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 just kicked up so much stuff into the atmosphere. It created right. a you know sort of like they you know they used to talk about nuclear winter. It right. was a you know, the sun was blocked out for so long. And so a similar theory now is, is proposed for what happened to the civilization that perished, the civilization from the last ice age. The current theory is that it was a similar uh, impact, not as large during what was called the Younger Dryas period, where mm -hmm. um, it was after the ice age and the earth was starting to warm up again, or the polar regions were, you know, were warming. And then all of a sudden we got cold again. And uh, the the theory or the hypothesis is that it was an impact that you know, kicked up a lot of material and created a, a sort of another micro, you know, winter event. And that killed off this civilization. My proposal, I'm, I'm not saying that that didn't happen, but what happens, right. I think, more regularly are, are pole shifts. And I think pole shifts are the kind of of mechanism that really they they ex first of all it they they seem to be able to explain the alignment of these sites which there's no other explanation for why so many sites are it's like more than half the sites if you look at them uh it just just do a spreadsheet there's thousands of sites about half of them can't be explained and they're the they're the, like the most enigmatic sites on earth why why can't these sites, why aren't they aligned to north? The pyramids are. Okay, so we're good with the pyramids. But you you go outside of Giza and, and temples and other pyramids throughout Egypt have all sorts of unusual alignments that really can't be explained. Mm -hmm. The proposal is that they're much older. Anyway, so um, I, think, I, I think I've kind of gone off a bit of a, on a tangent here. That's okay, that's okay. That's what but, we're here uh, for. Anyway, so this is kind of where we're at. It's it's just to me it's just really interesting because it your theory makes a lot of sense when you look at history it really does you know and and like you say the main the, the mainstream scientists aren't going to be thrilled with it because they're set what what they believe yeah you know it it's Charlotte at some level you know it's all comes down to belief you know so scientists have their belief system. So they're not totally objective. Everyone thinks science is so objective. Well, it is, and they have, you know, they have assumptions that they you know, that they start off with. Um, my my intuition is that uh, that our that that humanity is a lot older than than the last ten thousand years. The theory mm -hmm. now is that you know it used to be that we the the first civilization appeared in in uh, in Sumer and you know in Mesopotamia about four thousand. Mm -hmm. BC, uh, BCE, and now it's the theory is it's uh, Gobekli Tepe, um, about ten thousand BC in um, in Turkey, and um, so it's like we're 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 you know we're we're pushing back the 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 horizon, the beginning, um, you know modern. Human, you know, modern man, humanity has existed for two hundred thousand years. The evidence goes; it keeps going back even further. They used to think it was a hundred thousand, but now it's more like two, two hundred plus thousand years. And it's evidence of 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 humanity and 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 social, you know, with advanced social behavior, social networks. You know, we weren't 
mindless primitives. We were sophisticated in the beginning. So what were what was happening all those years? Mm-hmm. And so I I think I'm looking for a theory that kind of connects it. And um, and so this is the hypothesis is that we can use pole shifts as a way, sort of as a yardstick for sort of establishing dates on things that take us back not 10,000 years, but 100 or 200,000 years. And it may be a way of connecting us with the past in a, in a new and different way. Absolutely. Where do you think Atlantis is? Um, I, I, I think there's evidence, evidence of it all over. Um, one, one chapter in the book, uh, which I wrote with uh, a, a couple of months ago, it was one of the last chapters, was uh, on uh, sites in the United States, which I originally thought, you know, I, I, everyone's, you know, you look for ancient, you look at ancient sites and everyone's like interested in Egypt or Mesopotamia or, or Mesoamerica or South America, who, who looks in the United States? Well, it turns out that if you look at site alignments in the United States above where the ice sheet was, the Laurentine ice sheet, those sites are aligned to the current pole because those were built after the ice sheet melted. So places like Great Serpent Mound um, or you know, other, other mounds and other structures in the Northern uh, United States and, and, and Southern Canada. But if you go South below the ice sheet, there's numerous mounds that are aligned in other directions that can't be explained. It turns out though, if you change your frame of reference, they're actually aligned to solstices or to lunar um, standstills, which is uh, similar to solstices, but with the moon, relative not to the current pole, but to the Hudson Bay pole. So in other words, when the ice sheet was in place, when, when the northern U.S. was covered with ice, the southern U.S. Uh, was ice-free, and whoever lived there at the time were they had structures that they were building and aligning much as we do today, but not to the pole that we have now, but to the pole at that time, which was in Hudson Bay. And, uh, and so what you also find in the Southern US buried under the suburbs in, uh, in uh, North of Dallas, Northeast of Dallas, Texas, is this uh, rock wall structure that was discovered in the 1800s that has been, uh, you know, deep sixed as they say as they say you know the the they have built over it and tried to cover this thing up but there are some maps that were made of it um in the 90s i think it was and these maps suggest that this structure massive structure was aligned to the hudson bay pole so where's atlantis i think there's evidence of it uh under the suburbs north uh northeast of, of dallas i think it's in this country um as well as in 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 Mesoamerica, uh, many structures in Meso in uh, in Mexico, uh, the uh, pyramid Teotihuacan is actually aligned to the Hudson Bay Pole. So I I believe that that complex north of Mexico City was built uh, during this previous age, uh, okay. twenty thousand plus years ago. So this is this is a you know this is Atlantis. It wasn't one place. It was it was really a worldwide civilization. That existed. Okay. That would be interesting if that actually was found out that way. That'd be absolutely fascinating. I know, I know. What's what's hard about this is that in order to prove this, you got to actually go deep because the old stuff is deep, mm-hmm. and you know most uh, most places don't don't want to go deep. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a number of interesting structures in Egypt, uh, the labyrinth uh, in Harara, uh, and uh, you know the Egyptian government won't let any any uh, excavation be done you know and it's like the really old things that would be worth digging up or going underneath because it's really you're looking to go underneath the 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 visible foundations to to what it, to what it was built over mm-hmm. the idea is called adaptive reuse and the romans did it in in rome if you go into rome everything is built over something else and so this is you know and you actually find this in south america you find um structures built on top of older structures and it's it's really a worldwide thing so you want to get down below the earliest one to date that and if you can do that 
we might start getting some really interesting uh, results. So that's, I think, where, you know, the science should go, but we'll see. Well, you know, as suburbia as everything is in the United States, you, you, you ever think they're going to be able to do that? I mean, we could go out to a farmer's field and start digging way down or, you know, out to where the cave areas are and stuff. But, I mean, if, if, if we've got, the, you know, houses and housing tracks piled on top of that stuff, it's going to be kind of hard to get in there. I know it's I I I was uh, I was I was cruising uh, I was looking at some stuff on the web and I came across Elon Musk's website where he has you know he's got all these companies and one of the companies is is the boring company where they can make tunnels and it's like wow I'd love to drive one of these things around uh, Egypt you know you could be dry you, you know you could go deep and uh, and uh, you know you never know what you what you might find I think. I, I think some really it would be really speculative, probably low likelihood of return, really. Uh, but if someone had enough money and wanted to do something really cool, I think just starting to drill under some of these ancient sites to see what what what's really deep would be very interesting. No one's ever done anything like that before. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, the return the return on that investment could be amazing. Absolutely. And I know there's there, there's sites now and, you know, towns now, and I can remember the show. I used to watch this stuff on Discovery Plus and everything else where they can actually prove that, that on the flooding, you know, where it's up high enough, but yet yet there's there's fossilized fish up there, you know, yeah. and they can attribute to, to, to massive floods. Right, right. I mean, there's, there's so, you know, the evidence of flooding and of cataclysms are, are, are worldwide. And, you know, the surface of the earth has been different. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're not even talking necessarily, you know, we all know hundreds of millions of years ago, there was Pangaea. We were one giant supercontinent. But I mean, even more recently, uh, just looking at changes in the Ice Age, where I live, I live north of Boston. And, you know, the landscape around here is covered with these erratic boulders, these boulders that were transported by the glaciers. Uh, you know, 20 plus thousand years ago, we we're we we're under two miles of ice. You know, so it's like the the, the planet changes, you know, significantly. And, um, I, you know, I, I don't think our brains can comprehend that. And, 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 and what I'm proposing is even, you know, more mind bending, not looking back 10,000 years, but looking 100,000 or 200,000 years. Mm-hmm. But I think we have the tools, you know, we have, we certainly... We have possibly these sites as evidence, um, possible evidence, and we certainly have the technology to to dig down. And there's technology, you know, you you know what radiocarbon dating is, right, right. But there's also something called optically um, stimulated luminescence dating, where you can actually date rocks the last time they were exposed to to light, and it's been used to date, to date um, stone structures here in New England where I live. And to sh- actually prove that some of them um, were built before the um, before the English arrived, so pre-contact, because mm-hmm. there's a lot. You know, some people believe, well, all these stone structures in New England were were, were colonial, were built by by the English. Mm-hmm. They don't it, it, they don't they're not willing to acknowledge the possibility that the that the uh, native people built them. Mm-hmm. So now the evidence, the tools are there to actually prove that. And so, you know, I, I, it's a really cool time to be doing science, I think, because we have some really cool technologies to that we can harness to push back some, of you know, some of our dates and expand our theories. Like, well, a great example of that is America Stonehenge. Right, right, right. That, you know, people say that's that's a disturbed site. And, it, you know, I'm sure they they probably, you know, move things around and, but mm-hmm. I mean the, the, but, but it's, it's a, I've been there a couple of times and, you know, it, it obviously uh, was pre, obviously pre-colonial. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, if you look at some of the alignments, you can, um, you know, they, they were able to date uh, Stonehenge using um, the change in the location of the sun because the earth's axis tilt, uh, the, our tilt changes a little bit. Mm-hmm. And over about a 40,000 year period, the direction of, you know, where the sun rises and sets changes by a couple of degrees. And by looking at the difference between the alignments now 
um, and then you know what they what they should be, you can actually date these sites. And you know, America Stonehenge does date back, you know, to before colonial times. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, I mean, you know, you, you there 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 are there are there are means of of actually measuring these things. And um, unfortunately, to go back to hundred thousand years, you know, you need some other some other technologies. So. You know, that's what we're talking about here, hopefully uh, being able to apply. What I think with the the technology you're talking about, what I find so interesting about it is that when we cut, you know, when we cut down a tree, we're able to see the tree rings and get the age of the tree. Now, in certain spots in the United States, you can you you, you can walk out and see where the different level layers of uh, of uh, of the ground are. And so, you know, how old it is now with the proper boring machine. They could dig all the way down there and pull that thing up and they could look straight down. You know, they, they could look at those rings, which are similar to what the tree rings are and see, you know, how, how old the ground is at that point. Exactly. And, you know, and the deeper you go, the older it is. So, so, okay. So you can do that. So now what happens when you're down a uh, hundred thousand years and you and you, and you run into, you run into a, into a stone wall. It's like, okay. I mean, I mean, literally, so that's, 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 you know, we're talking about here or perhaps not in isolation, but a structure that was actually the foundation of something that was built, you know, above it, that, that that in some cases, I think these things are preserved. They exist today. And in other cases they were destroyed, but, um, you know, I mean, the really interesting stuff is going to be deep and, um, I I think ways of, of getting at it, uh, you know, the chance of, of running into something like that is going to be really small. I mean, there's, there's a lot of volume um, and these things can only bore, you know, a small amount. And mm-hmm. it, it's sort of like, you know, I don't know if you watch uh, The Curse of Oak Island, you know, they're, they've been looking for, um, you know, this, uh, this so-called money pit. And it's, you know, it's a fairly small area and they've been right. looking for years and they still haven't found it. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's a daunting task, but you know, if you don't look, you don't, you're not going to find anything. Well, it makes me think about the oil rigs because think how deep they go. You know, those drills go looking for oil. I mean, it's not without, it's, it's not like, it's not within reach to be able to do this. That's right. And they, and they know where to look. Yeah. Yeah. Because they've done the seismic surveys. Mm -hmm. So the sites that exist above ground that have these orientations, we can't explain. It's like, okay, let's go. We know where to, that's where we're going to look, but we're not going to look on the surface. We're going right. to go down. Right. So, you know, I think there's definitely a strategy there. Um, if anyone's was listening, there's a lot of people in California that have lots of money. So this mm-hmm. would be a cool thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't know what else to do with your money, this is a good thing. Yeah. I think yes. it'd be great. I, I think it'd be really cool. I yeah. really do. That would be so cool. And the shock that people would have, you know, if they did find something ever. I know. I mean, and this is, you know, you're, 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 we're talking about Mars. So I'm going to circle around to that. Okay. Because, you know, I don't, do you know anything about the face on Mars or any of these objects on Mars that were discovered back in the 70s? I've done some basic reading on Mars. In fact, I've been wanting to get somebody on to talk about that for a long time. So this is perfect. Oh, okay. So we can, we can kill two birds with one stone. Let's do it. Yeah. All right. So anyway, um, that was a past life. Uh, I got I got involved in the Mars investigation in the uh, mid eighties. Mm-hmm. In 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 uh, the mid seventies, a U.S. spacecraft known as Viking Orbiter imaged uh, something that looked like a mile long face on the surface of Mars, mm-hmm. and NASA promptly sort of just poo pooed it. They said it was a op- optical illusion, trick of light and shadow, and it wasn't. You know, they didn't study it. Uh, in any serious way. But then 10 years later, a group actually out of Berkeley, California, um, began uh, looking into it. They were called the Mars, the Independent Mars Investigation Group. And uh, they they recruited me because um, my background's in image processing. And so I did a lot of imaging work um, at this at this time. And I wrote a couple of papers and I was studying it from the point of view of, is this a natural or an artificial feature? And I was 
trying to figure out ways of determining from an image whether something was artificial or natural, not just based on, you know, it looks natural, it looks artificial, but something more quantitative. Mm-hmm. Sort of like what you use, you know, to automatically like find, to detect uh, like military vehicles in an image, you know, sure. you know the military is interested in this stuff. So they, they have right. technology for doing this. Right. Okay. So the same idea. So, um, so, you know, we did, we did research back then and, and I wrote a couple of papers and uh, I mean, we, we did a presentation at the national press club. We had national press and we had a lot of interest um, in this stuff, but it never, it, it got to the point where in uh, 1996, I think it was NASA or 1998, NASA sent up a follow-up probe. They weren't oh. actually able to get up there with a decent camera for quite some time to follow up. So by that time, there were there was a group at NASA that said that contacted us and and said, you know, you have some interesting data, so we're gonna we're gonna take a look. And so we actually met with them, um, met with the people at JPL uh, as Mars Global Surveyor was uh, going into orbit. And in the following weeks, they uh, they said they would be making an attempt, which they did. Um, but the image they 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 captured was um, sort of like something you might uh, like a picture of yourself. If you held a flashlight under your face, mm-hmm. it doesn't, you know, it's like, okay, it's sort of face like, but it doesn't really look like you. It's like a distortion. Well, it was just because that was just the way the sun was on that particular day. It was the first imaging opportunity because with satellite imaging, the sun can be almost anywhere and it could be, you could be looking at it almost any different direction. So. It could be weird and it was weird. And they put that up on the TV on the evening news. And it was like, yeah, this is the face on Mars. It's, it's just a bunch of boulders. It's not, there's, there's nothing, you know, it's, it's just, uh, it's totally, uh, it's, it's totally natural. Right. And so that was it. Um, but all these years later, there's still a lot of interest. And a lot of people have said to me, scientists, geologists have said to me, Hey, look, I think this is natural, but my God, it's such an incredibly symmetrical object. If you Mm -hmm. look at a high resolution image of the face on Mars, uh, the face itself is kind of beat up, but it's on this platform that's highly symmetrical. And so um, tying this in with what we were talking about earlier, NASA's not going to, well, NASA will get to Mars, but through the technology that SpaceX is developing. You know, mm-hmm. Musk's goal is to is to create a human presence on Mars. I think it's based on transporting like a million tons of of of, of cargo there. And he's got the technology, the 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 uh, the um, Starship and Starship Heavy um, and, uh, you know, and it's going to start probably in a couple of years. So I think I think he'll get there first. And I think. He'll be in a position to go to Cydonia. That's the part of Mars where this is and uh, actually see, you know, see for himself. He's a, he's a curious guy and he, and he obviously has all the money in the world. He can do, he mm-hmm. can do, and he, you know, I, 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 he's got these boring machines too. I, I think he should do some, I think he should dig some holes under some archeological sites. But I mean, this is the kind of guy that could really do some, I mean, what he's doing is cool technologically. Mm-hmm. But I mean, he could really make a difference science-wise by, you know, checking out the face on Mars, and uh, again, t- just tying us in with we were talking about earlier, uh, looking at some of these archaeological sites with his uh, digging machines. So it's in private hands now. I don't think we have to rely on the government. I think right. I think you know these billionaires have the means to uh, leverage what they can do to, in, into some cool areas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, with the face of Mars, um, it does look like a face. I mean, you can't you can't deny what it looks like, and right. people, you know, th- that's what people think. But because when you compare, you know, you look at something like the Nazca lines, let's talk, you know, when you look at that and see how well drawn out those were for whatever reason, that's that's probably where the mindset, you know, with people with the face on Mars is. Yeah, and and 
NASCA lines, you're perfect. You're perfect because the, the NASCA lines, people have wondered for years, what directions do they point to? Right. And, and, um, um, uh, a, a, a number of investigations going back. I, I'm, I'm trying to, I can't, I'm having a senior moment. I can't think of the scientists. Um, but it was Ger uh, Gerald Hawkins was one of them. Gerald Hawkins was uh, the scientist who um, figured out uh, the geometry of Stonehenge and, mm -hmm. and proposed that it was a, a, a computer primitive, Neolithic computer for predicting eclipses. Mm -hmm. uh, and I actually had the pleasure of, of, of knowing uh, 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 Gerald Hawkins. And, uh, and he, you know, he, he, he had a lot, a lot of interesting, uh, a lot of interesting ideas. He was not able actually to find any rhyme or reason for the lines. In other words, uh, at NASCA, he couldn't, and there's been no successful theory to explain the directions that they're aligned. Like, are they aligned to constellations or the sun or this, that, or the other thing? It turns out that the strongest lines are in the direction of, of former poles, former locations in the North Pole. And, uh, and it, it just as, as, as an aside, uh, you know, there's a lot of similarity between uh, Thor Heyerdahl suggested there's a lot of similarity between megalithic structures in Peru and Easter Island, the, the Moai and, and the Ahu platforms. Well, it turns out those two are aligned to early poles as well. So again, the, 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 the it, it, I almost feel like it begins to bore people because it's like, it's sort of like I've got this hammer and everything is a nail. I mean, uh -huh. everything, it, it explains so much uh, and in such a simple and compelling way. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Uh, anyway, so I, 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 I digress, but you mentioned the Nazca lines and those right. are another example. And right. yes, people, again, that like you said, people wonder about those. It's like how they're so straight. What, what could they mean? What could it mean? Right, right. Now, getting back to Mars, you mentioned or at the beginning of the, of the interview that the polar that, that the polar thing, the the, the the polar caps on Mars and all that had are similar to what happened on Earth. You think? So yeah, so so we're talking about um, pole shifts on Earth, right? right. Um, there was actually it's it's well documented that there was a pole shift on Mars, um, that the North Pole uh, wasn't always where it is now, and what happened? Um, they believe there's this giant volcano. Uh, uh, it's actually a, it's 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 a it's a giant bulge on the surface uh, called uh, the uh, Tharsis um, Mound, I think. I'm kind of all over the place tonight, so I'm. Oh, that's okay. Just go. I with think it. that's what it is. Star, it's Tharsis, anyway, and, and it's the buildup was called uh, was caused by by uh, you know magma coming to the surface and creating this this uh, this structure. So as as lava came up, it started building the structure, and it's so huge that it disrupted Mars's um, moment of inertia. So mm -hmm. it was spinning on its axis. But then this thing started popping up and it became off balanced. So what happened is the planet shifted on its axis in order to accommodate this. And now, uh, you know, Tharsis is kind of close to the equator because mm -hmm. that's where you want to put the, the big mass that's spinning around. You don't want it spinning up here. You want it spinning around here. Um, so anyway, when that happened, the poles shifted. So it happened on Mars and there's evidence that it happened on Earth millions of years ago um the proposal here is that it hasn't really stopped it's still it's still happening but but the mechanisms are a little different and it's actually the subject of the next book i'm working on mm -hmm. which actually talks about how all this works and um because people have been asking me okay we see the sites but you know when when is the pole going to shift again is it or when's the next cataclysm is it is it like is it this year? Is it a hundred years, a thousand? Is it 10,000 years? When's it going to be? And there's actually cycles you see in, in the pattern of, of, of uh, Earth, uh, you know, just the amount of ice on the planet, the global sea levels. Uh -huh. And there's certain patterns that are, you know, they 
they've repeated and they likely will continue to repeat. Even with global warming, there are certain things that will happen based on just certain types of changes. And um, so it's, you know, I think uh, th th there's more chapters to be written and, you know, I think more, more theories um, and more, you know, a little bit more speculation maybe, uh -huh. uh, but we'll see, we'll see where it goes. So my next question is, I was just thinking as you were saying this, the moon controls our tides, you know, the water levels in the tides. Yeah. This, this pull, you know where I'm going with this, this pole shift that you're talking about, could it be because the earth somehow swung out of its current orbit to move away from the moon or got closer to cause these pole shifts? So I, I, I don't know. You're, you're, you, I, I don't know if you're messing with me because I, I, I did, <laughs> I did want to talk. This is so the theory that I have, uh, which is sort of the basis of the next book. Okay. Okay. Is uh, I'll get into it. I mean, we have time, and you. Oh, no, it just occurred to me while you were talking. <laughs> I got to thinking about the shifting, and I thought, well, yeah, that's a big shift right there. So you no, know, you. So you know, I mean, this is this is what I try to do. It's like I try to apply common sense reasoning. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like keep it simple, stupid. The explanations for why things are the way they are probably it's probably not complicated. It may not be what you expect, but it's probably in retrospect, it's going to be like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, mm -hmm. duh. so the theory uh, or the hypothesis that I have is um, you're aware of how the Earth's magnetic poles are changing, like the compass, you know, magnetic north is changing. and. Mm -hmm. People are, uh, you know, some scientists are saying it's happening really quickly and they don't know, you know, why. And uh, there's evidence of um, how much time do we have? Do we have we have like five minutes? We have 15 minutes. Go for 15 it. Minutes. OK, good. All right. All right. Because sometimes I get going and it's like, oh, uh, we got a commercial coming up here. It's all good. Go for it. OK, so. Um, uh, so, OK. Um, so as the magnetic poles uh, move around, there's evidence that, well, over long periods of time, over periods of millions or hundreds of millions of years, the Earth's poles change direction. North becomes south and south north. The magnetic poles. So mm -hmm. the compass would flip around 180 degrees and stay that way for hundreds of uh, tens to 100 million years. Those are called geomagnetic uh, reversals. There are shorter term uh, events called excursions where it doesn't, it, where, where the magnetic field like collapses or reverses itself, but it, it does so over shorter periods of times, like thousands of years. Mm -hmm. There's been over the last uh, 100,000 years, there's been like four of these and they're correlated with volcanic eruptions on Earth. So after, after you have one of these uh, geomagnetic magnetic excursions, you have like super volcanic eruptions. You have like the Toba eruption 75,000 years ago that you know, causes mass extinctions, but there's been others. Mm -hmm. the, 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 the hypothesis is that what happens when the, when the field collapses or reverses itself is that the crust becomes unlocked from the mantle. So it's like, you know, geologists say there's no way this crust, you know, how, how, how can the crust shift? It's like every, you know, it's right. like there's no evidence of it, but if 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 the magnetic field reversed itself, the core field coming from the center of the Earth would be in a different direction than the magnetization of the crust, because the crust is magnetic; it's ferromagnetic. So, in other words, the 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 magnetic field of the crust lines up with that of the core now, so it's locked together. It's like north and south, you know, poles uh, uh, attracting each other. But when it, if, if the field in the, if the core field reversed, then it would be north to north and the crust would actually become, un, you know, the term I use is unlocked. Mm -hmm. It'd be less friction so it could move more readily. Well, what could happen then? Well, you mentioned the moon. Mm -hmm. The moon is, uh, you know, does quite a job moving water around. It, mm -hmm. It's responsible for the tides. I mean, that's a massive amount of energy at work, um, moving all that water. Well, if the crust were free to move, 
why why wouldn't the moon be able to move the crust now it's more massive it's it's you know right. it's it's probably orders of magnitude i i did the calculation you know the mass of the water is of the ocean is one thing i think the mass of the crust might be 10 or 100 times more than that but that said, if the crust became unlocked and the moon is pulling a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time, it doesn't happen overnight, it starts to move. So the theory, the hypothesis, I keep saying theory, but the hypothesis at this point is that when the crust becomes unlocked, the moon starts to move the crust and shift it. And this could happen over a period of hundreds or maybe a thousand years. Uh-huh. So it's not a rapid event. It could be cataclysmic. I mean, it, it's. I, I believe the volcanic eruptions and um, earthquakes and so forth that occur, that are correlated, may actually be caused by this. There's no proof that there's a causality, but there's evidence that they're correlated because they happen around the same time. That you have these geomagnetic events, the 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 pole, the magnetic poles reverse, and then mm-hmm. there's all these volcanic eruptions. So something's going on. And so that's when I think the pole shifts occur, and and I think it's it's so it's it's driven by the moon. What mm-hmm. causes the geomagnetic reverses? I don't know. One theory, uh, a lot of people believe it's the sun. So mm-hmm. maybe it's the sun and moon kind of working together to keep uh, keep hitting the reset button on Earth. I don't know. Fascinating, absolutely fascinating. Does so, that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. How long did it take you to come up? To, to come up with these hypotheses um it doesn't actually take long to think of them mm-hmm. because you know i um you know like when you get an idea is that really are you coming up with that or is it coming from somewhere mm-hmm. you know i i i, I don't i don't think that I, I think creative thinking i think any ideas we have uh, they're coming from somewhere else and we're just sort of channeling them so they, you, it's like you get this insight. It's like, oh, that's pretty cool. The, the hard thing is then, okay, how do I communicate this? How do I formalize it? How do I write it down? How do I come up with the uh, mechanism to explain how it could work? And that's what takes that. Or, or like in the case of all these archaeological sites, finding, doing the research, going to all these different parts of the world you know, going to different sources and researching them. That's, you know, that takes, that takes hundreds, thousands of hours. Uh, the idea itself, you know, it, it came to me while I was planning a vacation, to go to Mexico. Right. And, you know, one thing led to, to another. Uh, so it happens quickly, but then, you know, then you got to do, you got to do the legwork. That takes right. a long time. And speaking of legwork, now that you're, you know, that, that you have these hypotheses, does it make you want to go visit ancient sites even more now? Um, yeah, I mean, too, I, I mean, it's, I, it's, it's, I think, harder to travel um, now than it was. Um, I, I, a lot of people I know have been all over the world and are very well traveled. Uh, I'm, I've been to, you know, I've been to a good representative sample. Do I have to go to all these sites? I'd like to go to a few more, but um, you know, I'm I'm kind of an old guy at this point. So (laughs) I think what I can do is, is somewhat limited. Uh, Hopefully inspire others to maybe um, pick up where, you know, where I left off. Now you, you talked earlier about the reception to this, the, the, these two books that you have, obviously the reception you get from the public is a lot more open than what you're getting from the scientists. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, I mean, that said, you know, I've, I've given presentations and the presentations have been pretty well attended and, um, and uh, with, with, with good feedback. And actually I, I have three peer reviewed papers. So, uh, I've actually written this stuff up and submitted it to uh, to journals for publication. So it's gone through the peer review process. They, they're not archaeology journals. They're 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 science. They're 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 all sort of alternative science journals. But you know, I mean, the editorial board they're PhDs, and you know, they they have they have credentials, and you know, they're not they're not like uh, 
you know, they're, 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 they're quantitative thinkers and they're, you know, I'll, I'll get, you know, I remember getting, uh, submitting this paper for the first time. Um, and it was like, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot here. You really got to break it down. So going through the process of having a paper peer reviewed by a journal was really useful and it actually helped make the paper better. So, I mean, I've been through that process, mm -hmm. but it hasn't been in the archeology span it hasn't been Science Magazine or it hasn't been, uh, you know, National Geographic. Those people would look at this and they would say, you know, this is crazy. Mm -hmm. but, there, but there are journals with, uh, with scientists that are more open-minded and it has, you know, been through that process of peer review and publication. And, you know, like I said, I've had three papers on this published. Um, the last one was the one with this theory about the, um, the crustal you know, crust becoming unlocked and, and the and the role of the moon. So, so yeah, you, it's published. So when do you think your new book will be ready? Uh, probably in a probably in a couple of years. I I just finished this one and it's like I don't even want to look at it anymore. You know, <laughs> you, you get you kind of um it's it's fun to talk about it, but um I'm it's you get so burned out. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm looking at it. It's like did I write this? You know, you kind of. It's actually, I think it's why I, I like to write books because once you get it written down, then you can almost like kind of forget about it. Um, right. But uh, probably in the next couple of years, um, I all, I, this, this next year, I may actually update. I also have a UFO book out. <laughs> I'm all over the place. Um, it's called None of This World. And it's uh, been for over the same period of time I've been involved with on again, off again, UFO investigations. And uh, so I have kind of a, my own take on that as well, which is not too far different from my take on ancient mysteries. Okay. Um, but anyway, it's, that's, we, we can only cover so much. We'll get you on we'll We'll have to get you back for that one. So my last question for you today then is, uh, and I, I asked this of everybody, you're on you're you're on the main drag in Las Vegas, and and there's there's other people with books similar to yours. How do you get people to read your books? Um, well, the easiest way would be to give them away for free, mm -hmm. but uh, I I don't I don't my goal is not to make money, but I don't want to lose money, so I I'm not going to do that. I think the way I do it is by um, you know, like talking to you and, and talking to other people um, and, and trying to explain it in sort of a just a, in a very basic common sense way. I mean, this it's not rocket science. Uh, I don't think I think these these questions are very basic. And I think some of the answers might be simpler than we think. So it's looking at things in a different way um, and, and doing it this way and getting uh, people interested in getting some feedback and, you know, one thing leads to another. Absolutely. absolutely. Organic. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. So how can people find you, sir? So um, you can go to beforeatlantis.com, which is uh, the first book. And then uh, I also have uh, stuff related to beyond Atlantis on that. There's links to, uh, the, all these papers I mentioned, uh, there's articles. So you don't actually have to buy anything. You can just go online. Uh, but then there's links to uh, Amazon where you can buy the books uh, if you like as well. So again, it's beforeatlantis.com. Fair enough. Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. I learned so much. Thanks, Charlotte. Thanks yeah, for having me. Love to get you back on to talk about the alien stuff. That'd be kind of fun. Yeah, that's that's more that's maybe spookier, right? Well, it doesn't matter. We we take all kinds of topics. It doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be spooky. Okay. We're good. We're here good. to learn. All right, sir. Thank you so much. Thank you. Right. Have, have a, a good great night. holiday. Okay. Right, bye, bye bye. All right. That was a great show. I learned so much about the about the polls. That's really cool. Really, really cool. See, that's what I like. I like shows where I can learn something. Okay. Tomorrow we're shifting gears. We're going back into metaphysical. William Gladstone is going to be with us, and he's going to be talking about miraculous healings. He's got a book out about a, do a doctor who uh, trained under another doctor who trained under no okay, who, tra <laughs> who trained under another doctor who uh, learned how to do these, these fantastic healings. 
And so he's going to be talking about that tomorrow. So it's going to be a pretty cool show for Thursday. Um, if you're watching from Facebook and you like what you heard tonight, please be sure to hit that like button and be sure to hit the follow button. We're looking for followers. I'm also looking for followers on Instagram. And again, that's under ghosty gal, all lowercase. All right. And again, if you're watching from YouTube and you like what you see, please be sure to hit that little ghost down the bottom right hand corner and subscribe because uh, we have videos going every day, Monday through Sunday. And uh, they're all on different topics, you know, different types of things. And if you get back and look at the archives, you'll see a bunch of videos over there. Okay. And I think you'll find something that you like. We also have a website, CaliforniaHauntsRadio.com, and you can check out everything over there. In fact, I have videos going back to our blog talk days, which was like 15, 20 years ago that you can check out. And that's over at CaliforniaHauntsRadio.com. I want to thank you guys for coming tonight. I really appreciate it. And I want to let you know about an event on Saturday. Nancy, uh, Medium Nancy Matthews, who's with us on Fridays, is, is a really good reader. You know, I just don't say that about anybody. But uh, she's offering, and this is for the holidays, a special of $12 for five-minute read. You can ask her any questions you want, and uh, she'll answer them. You got five minutes with her, and that's something. And it's a private reading. So once the reading is done, I will send you a copy of that of that particular reading, and you'll have it all yourself. That's, that's part of the gift. But, I mean, $12 is, is a low price going for any psychic. So, you know, if you're interested in something like that, uh, you can get, pay uh, through Venmo at California Haunts. It's just that simple. And then we'll be doing it here on StreamYard. But like I said, it, it will be a private reading one-on-one -on -one with her for you. So, uh, yeah, that'll be Saturday uh, at 3 p.m. Pacific time that we're going to be doing this. So if you're interested in that, please do, uh, you know, buy, buy your ticket at Venmo. Uh, we're only going to have 10 spots open. Okay? All right. So uh, you see that <laughs> I'm shifting around tonight. You see that ticker at the bottom? That's going to bring me into my next subject is the fact that California Haunts takes no money for their investigations. or to, We simply do it to help people. That's what we want to do is help and educate people. So uh, everything you see here comes out of my pocket. So if something breaks, whether it's a mic or it's a spotlight or the computer or whatever, I have to pay for it out of my pocket to repair it, even the headphones and things like that. Also, you know, the Internet bills and all that. Plus, you know, when we go to a, for, for uh, overnight investigations to help people, we pay for our own hotel rooms and things like that for the team as well. So if you could find it in your heart to help the team out, that would be great. Uh, I would appreciate it. Um, you can do that at paypal.me at California Haunts. Or you can do that at Venmo at California Haunts. So if you feel if you feel it in your heart to do so, please do. That'd be great. All right. I will see you guys tomorrow. I'm going to give you his contact information. And we're going to go over some of the books he's written. I know he, he mentioned some during the interview. But uh, we're going to do that. And then I'm going to sign off here. So here we go. So you can find him at beforeatlantis.com. Or not of this world UFO.com. And we've got the Martian Injimus. I'm sorry. <laughs> there, a closer look. All right. And we've got Fairy uh, Craft, So Potent Art, Before Atlantis, Beyond Atlantis. And the Island Woods. And of course, you can check those out at Amazon.com or his websites. Okay, guys, I will see you tomorrow at 6.30 p.m. Pacific with William Gladstone to talk about, to talk about miraculous healing. See you tomorrow. <laughs>